Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast, uh, World Cup Daily from Moscow, uh, where we have just witnessed two penalty shootouts uh, in back-to-back games. Uh, I'm a man host of the Indie Football Podcast and sports editor of The Independent, and alongside me is chief football writer of said title, Miguel Delaney. Hello. Well, good evening. Whatever. And unfortunately, we have a sad Miguel Delaney today, because... Um, <laughs> Is with with great tristeza that I must uh, reveal that Spain are out of the World Cup in in the most shocking news of the day. They were eliminated by uh, hosts Russia, four three on a penalty shootout. Five three in the end. Five three uh, on a penalty shootout. Um, after a game in which they oh no, maybe it was four three because the last one was Aspas. I thought I thought it was four three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, after a game in which they dominated. Completely, not only completely dominated to a ludicrous extent, but they, they but they did nothing. Um, I think it's best if we start you off with a little uh, diatribe, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll come back in and we'll, and we'll address some of the big issues that it throws up. Well, I I wouldn't say sad. I mean, livid for about Spain, and that was I think a disgrace. They deserve to be out. They re- they really deserve to be out. It was um, it was absolutely shocking. I mean, the worst part about it is the arrogance of their complacency. I mean, whatever about what happened after the penalty. Basically, Spain were one up. They're in control. They're in, they're, they're one up without having to do too much. But then worse, they started to behave as if it were, they were three 0 up, and it was the 80th minute. It, it was a disgrace. Um, and I, I, tweet, I tweeted about it about t- a few minutes actually before the penalty. I was saying basically. Um, that you know, Spain are, Spain are so much better than a really, really, really bad Russia. I, mean, I don't think we overestimated how poor Russia are. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, so to some extent their, their approach is justifiable. But if they, if it's only one nil, they leave themselves open. And lo and behold, in a tournament where Spain has been, have been characterized above anything else, really, by sloppiness, by mistakes, and just casual nature, they got punished. And it, and then and then after that, what was I think what was particularly weird about the game then after that was that. I mean, we've seen all the passing stats now. We've heard the passing stats as much as we've seen Spain pass the ball about a thousand times. Um, but and I've noticed a little bit of debate about kind of Spain's passing approach, tiki tack and all this. But that's not tiki tack. That's not what it is. I mean, it, it did feel as if Spain just kind of got themselves locked into this way of playing. And they kind of stopped believing. They stopped doing everything. Like they actually, even in some of their sloppy performances earlier in this campaign, they stopped. Kind of, like there was no running between the lines. I, mean, I remember like we were sat there today and we were watching. There's we, quite a high vantage point, Dolzhniki, and the massive gap in the area between the 18 yard or just in front of the 18 yard box. So like just behind Costa and in, and in between the midfield and Costa, there was no one running into that space. And this is despite. A team that's supposed to be defined by three playmakers, kind of you know, interchanging in that area. Um, but you know, but then we we all like. Of course, it goes beyond today, and everything stems from what what happened before the term even began. 
I think uh, there was a moment. Uh, about, it was about the sixty seventh minute. So I remember. I remember we were. It went on so long that we were talking during it. You and, and to my left was it was Barney Rono, the Guardian, and we were uh, talking as as Spain were camped in the Russian half. It was one one at this point. Um, Spain went ahead through uh, a Sergei Ignashevich own goal very very early on, um, and then. Russia equalised through a penalty, and that was Gerard Piquet who yeah. gave away that um, with a stupid handball well, that was given handball. given on VAR. But it was it was a penalty, right? Yeah, completely, yeah. completely. So um, there we go. Goes into the second half. Spain have been the better side in terms of dominance, of course. They had seventy six percent possession in the first half. Gets to the sixty seventh minute, um, and they were passing the ball back and forth. Basically, they, they, you could even see the four three three the the literal formation that they were playing in like as they passed the ball around mm-hmm. because they were just passing it back from side to side across the pitch Diego Costa was stood kind of on the edge of the mm-hmm. box in the centre Asensio was stood out on one wing Isco was stood out on the other uh, Silva and I think Iniesta had come on by that point uh, it might have been Iniesta for Silva um, but Isco is on there Busquets uh, the centre backs have, have stepped up the full backs are kind of pushed on but the ball's just getting passed from side to side. And Russia didn't touch the ball for at least three minutes. But it only went sideways. Mm. And the players who didn't have the ball were not moving. They were, they were stood or they were strolling. To, they, they were walking to try and find a little bit of space. But then when they did receive the ball, no one ever turned towards goal. No one ever tried to make a forward pass. The ball came to them and they gave it back. And it was basically this absolute confident, perhaps arrogant belief if they just kept passing the ball around, that Russia would, I don't know, yeah. like open up and, and present them with a chance? Because what they certainly didn't do themselves is create any chance. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I remember, he- I remember hearing from someone uh, who was at a seminar that Vincent Del Bosque did, talking about Euro 2012 and how they won it without a striker. And he said, well, the point is, uh, uh, what we tried to do was basically move the ball from left to right as fast as possible to create the openings for our, our midfielders to move into. So, like, people looked at it the wrong way. Whereas this is everything Spain were wrongly getting criticised for before. Like this, this was everything bad about Spain, and it was true. The criticism yeah, yeah. was fully deserved. It was just so passive. Uh, they did improve a little bit when Iniesta came on. And then I, I suppose this goes back to... I mean, Yero is an impossible situation there. Like, you know, he's not a manager, as, as it seems. Um, so you can't blame him too much. But again, it became, once Aspas and Rodrigo were brought on, it became clear they should have been on much earlier. Yeah, and, and the players that improved them in Aspas and Rodrigo were players who, who are from with outside the system. They are they are players who bring something different, who yeah. who change it, and it's because they were willing to run at players and they were willing to do things. Asensio, who I was lo- so looking forward to seeing, and I, I felt like before the game that you know they could spank Russia and, and that he could have a massive game because he is so talented and he could bring something different to them. And there was n- there was no directness, no. Like as the Spanish would say, verticality mm. to it, which you know, which means exactly what it sounds like going up the pitch as opposed to going side to side, which was Spain's t- and probably the entire game. Um, as you said, over a thousand passes completed. Only, only fourteen to Diego Costa. Only fourteen to Diego and Costa. I think there was some so few of them going forward. And I think, I think Isco. It was it. Isco had the ball. Yeah. Uh, Isco touched the ball around two hundred times in that game, which in itself is remarkable. And the, and they dropped in yesterday from the starting lineup for a variety of reasons, but uh, kind of one of them is is to make Isco more the focal point of the team and stuff. And he has to take some blame today because as much as I like him and he is a terrific player, he was part of the problem today. 
He didn't. Yeah. He didn't well, make there's, things there's happen. There's been a few murmurs from the Spanish camp that a, a few senior figures thought that, well, not those from Real Madrid, thought that Isco it does too thing, too many things for show. That he plays to the crowd rather than playing as Xavi has apparently said to him in the past, doing what's necessary. And I think that really came across today. There, there were times when the ball went forward, and, and because Russia weren't just looking to get everybody behind the ball, and Russia didn't even threaten on the counter attack really. They were just getting bodies behind the ball. And there were times when um, Russia, uh, in the first half particularly, had committed a few men forward. The ball gets cleared and, and there's a nice pass fizzed into Isco. And, he, and, and ahead of him, he's got two or three teammates and there's three or four defenders. So it's a four-on-four, four, which is, let's be honest, the best numerical matchup they probably had all game. Mm. And Isco turned away from goal and passed mm. it backwards. And by the time someone looks up to look forward, again, you've got 11 Russian shirts behind the ball. And that, unfortunately, happened too many times. And the way Spain played today was was almost a cowardice. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, they showed no courage, no bravery, no. They took no risks because mm. you know, and it looked like they were scared of Russia on the counter. Yeah. But Russia looked so unbelievably poor with the yeah. ball. Took, and at the end, they was they were so yeah. shattered. Do you remember there were times, especially in the last the last 45 minutes of play which I mean like say 75 minutes on and then into extra time we, we were almost laughing like a Russian player would try and control the ball near the Spanish ball and they completely lose it like they, did, they were so knackered all technique had deserted them <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't able for the level but the, the one thing I should say actually I mean yeah, as a half Spaniard and all I'm kind of there's this maybe regret that it, they, were on, they, they somehow got themselves on the easy side of the draw despite actually messing up the game against Morocco as well so they got to hear um on the east side of the draw, and you think, oh, they, they, you know, they, they've wasted such a great chance to get to the World Cup. Yet, they were the biggest name left on that side of the draw. And yet, after that, and even as underwhelming as Croatia were against Denmark, I don't think I'd fancy Spain, having seen, having watched that and having watched the Morocco game, and despite having been impressed them in the, in the first game against Portugal, I'm not sure they would have beaten Croatia. I, I think Croatia would have been favourites. And England would have punished that defence today. That's what I was thinking on the way out, is that they were so scared of that Russian counter-attack because... PK and Ramos haven't been themselves. I was always scared of that Russian counter-attack. Imagine what Sterling and Kane would have done to him. I, I think they're... As I say, it was the, the cowardice towards the end where... If you trust in the process, which is how Spain plays, Spain are trusting in their process that if we keep the ball and dominate the ball like they did, and the way they dominated the ball was almost unprecedented, like 80% possession. Um, if you trust in that process yeah. to dominate the ball, then you have to keep ramping up the attack you have yeah, to yeah. keep turning yeah. things up but that, it, it, and try to create chance and take risks because you know that if you're trusting the process you've only got up until 120 minutes in this case if it goes to extra time it goes to 120 minutes you looked at 90 minutes um, before extra time and the Russians were all on the floor yeah, yeah, and yeah. Spain yeah. Were, were okay because they, they knackered the Russians out which again is part of the point of playing like yeah. this so you've got half an hour and you have to keep cranking it up and keep taking more risks because if you, if you do that and you've got the ball you've got maybe a 70% 80% chance of winning as soon yeah. as it goes to penalties it's not quite 50-50 because of technique but it's a 55-45 mm. and you absolutely have to yeah, take yeah. some risks and do something and they just didn't do it yeah uh, it was basically to sum it up there was too much process not enough product and, and it, it is almost comes back to actually a bit of a, kind of a philosophical point of football but um, and like I say, say and you sometimes see it and say Statistical arguments, or some 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 of the debate around XG, which is not to say that you're not again diminish a valuable uh, statistical tool, but it's almost like say say a team has dominated a game but just not scoring. Oh, it's it's just a freak of the game. Sometimes it's just bad luck. But I like to, basically the process is right. But 
that's not always right because sometimes football is ultimately because it's such a, a game of such small scores it's, it's ultimately about winning there still comes a point where you have to actually go and do it you have, you have to execute you have to, you have to produce um, now, and Spain just did, didn't do that they didn't deliver they didn't step up now in saying that as well it'll actually be quite interesting to see what their stats are for that game in terms of it because they didn't really create many clear cut chances until Iniesta came on no I, I thought really they were when it came to creating chances, they were pathetic. Like, I can't think of many clear chances they they actually did, like. Who, who else did they have? Who else did they have to um, like? Costa did Costa have a single shot? Um, I'm, just, I'm just trying to find. Well, he, only, he was only passed the ball fourteen times. But actually, Costa spent most of the game um, basically uh, like he was surrounded by five defenders. I've found the XG map for Spain Russia from Michael Cayley and yeah, uh, thanks to, to Michael Cayley from this uh, over in America Spain had 1. 1. 1.5 expected goals a rough sum from the kind of pot shots and stuff they had they scored an own goal obviously um, and uh, they, they never looked like conceding and, that, and that's the thing really is that that's where he was really kicking themselves that, that's why they, they had to keep pushing and had to keep going and and they had to try new things. And, and there are players that have never got on the field, like Odriozola. Why did Nacho play at right back against Russia when Odriozola's yeah. there? Who, yeah. if, Carver, if, you do, if you're not going to go with Carvajal, Odriozola is the attacking fullback option. And Nacho is a centre-back playing out of position. A versatile centre-back, fine. And he plays for Real Madrid. But, and, and this might be, I think, where Hierro comes in. And we, we have to talk about this because I guess this is, this is what the campaign will be remembered for mm. more than anything, is... The difference between Hierro and Lopetegui, and you know, it's easy to ask this question now, and I probably can guess what you're going to say. But do you think they win this game with Julian Lopetegui in charge? I think I. Well, it's this is this is something that really should haunt everyone involved, particularly Lopetegui, and to a certain extent, I suppose Florentino Perez, although he really only cares about Real Madrid. You know, for for you, they they should have. Uh, they'll 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 always think what might have been. I mean, I'm still not sure how good a manager Lopetegui is, but it was obvious that he he was the right fit for that team, and he clearly done things with the team that suited them, and they were kind of ticking along very nicely. So first of all, you lose that, and then secondly, there's the extra effect of the kind of the massive blow up of it happening so close to the tournament, which you know, so there's, you know, they they get they get hit in two ways there. Um, but when they, when Hierro came in, I remember we had this discussion, mm. and our biggest concern was was. Uh, in game, we we thought they, the personnel wouldn't change that much. It's, yeah. it's in game decisions, substitutions, tweaks that we felt Lopetegui would be better at than yeah. Hierro. And, and the knock on Hierro from his time uh, with Oviedo, um, and I guess from other things that people yeah. knew about him, was that he's naturally conservative. Mm. And that's surely the best description of what we saw today. Yeah, completely, completely. Yeah, and and also you'd wonder about like one of the other things is conservative in another sense as well that. He, it would take him a long time to make changes to his team, even though it was clear that something. And it was the case today. It was summed up by the fact that Rodrigo and Aspas came on far too late. Um, yeah, I think it's a shame for it's a shame for Spain to go out like that. I just, just think I, I mean, I've written this in my piece. It's coming out there on Monday morning. But I mean, when 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 a team suffers a defeat as calamitous as that in a tournament, a profile as a World Cup. Usually, the, the immediate instinct is to kind of. I mean, we see it so much with England, I suppose, the, these deep philosophical debates of what's wrong with our team, what's wrong with the, is something wrong with the philosophy. But that's just not needed with Spain. 
uh, because we, we know what the, what the central issue is uh, and, and that's what makes it all the more calamitous because really I mean to go out to that Russian team is lamentable um, what do you think they'll do do you think Hierro uh, it's, it's hard to see Hierro stay in yeah. place um, one of the the in-house option that was kind of overlooked for this World Cup it suggests that he probably won't get it is um, Albert Saladis um, a colleague did say to me uh, he, he whatsapped me during the game saying basically some of this might be on Rubiales not in the sense of getting rid of Lepetegui because I think we both myself and this guy agree that he was put in an impossible situation uh-huh. and had to act um, but uh, he had 24 hours to think about his decision maybe he should have gone for a proper coach rather than someone that was almost like a company suit in the aero yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be it would, it would be like England putting Dan Ashworth in charge if Gareth Southgate had quit for taking the Chelsea job a day before or whatever. It's exactly, actually when you consider it, it's an it's amazing and ridiculous situation. And I think, and I do wonder whether now Spanish media will start to turn on Real Madrid a bit. Well, only half of it. Well, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just, they know where they know sorry, they know which side their bread is buttered. Who is it? It's someone ass who are obviously now they're less pro Madrid than. Ass who are less pro Madrid than they, were asked, they, were, they, are, they are still very pro Madrid, but so yeah, um, uh, Matianas and Ass he 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 goes from me. He, go, he goes to Real Madrid. He talks about it's a, a, a ridic- one of the worst crises this federation has faced in a ridiculous situation where a Spanish club is sabotaging the squad on the eve of the World Cup. Uh, I think this is going to bleed into next season because that's how it works in Spain uh, and. Real Madrid, like you know, there'll be a little bit of quiet now. Uh, well, probably not actually. Given the thing, the, the, one of the main things in the Madrid sports press is they've got two sport-owning newspapers, and they have to fill their pages every day. And a lot of that is Real Madrid content, you know. So, what's going to happen is this now turns into a Lopetegui Real Madrid story as well. Yeah. Like once the Spain thing has died down and the players are on holiday, it has to turn into a Lopetegui Real Madrid thing. So. There will be more to come on this, and I do think, you know, I said, well, you know, we had me and you had very different views when it happened. I thought they should have stuck with Lopetegui and not sacked him. Um, you thought he had to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you still think that? Yes, I think on principle. But I mean, that's why. Yeah, well, no, that, that's why they. That's why they said they sacked him. Yeah. It was valores. They said, which yeah. was uh, values, ethics, um, and um, yeah, I mean. The only way is ethics, as they say. So I think Spain had to. They they had to stand by their decision. They they've stood by it, and there are people that are going to be blamed. Rubiales, I think, so early into his reign, to have that decision to make is obviously a very difficult situation. But he's clearly a strong guy. Like he he came out straight after the kickoff as well. Uh, kickoff came after the result, and he spoke. You know, he, he's um, fronted up. Like he. Gave the face, as they say in Spanish, and and yeah, I think one of the big things in the Spanish media is that they appreciate that more than anything. It, it, yeah. Is if he had hidden, if he'd waited till tomorrow, they would have kind of been allowed to simmer with anger about it and all that sort of thing. He was immediately out there and and talking about it, and I think there will be some changes. Iniesta retired um, from international football. Uh, I don't think there's anything more we can add really to what he's done in his career. Um, he scored the winning goal in a World Cup final. Uh, at least, at the very least, not that I have much compensation for him tonight, and much consolation, his last act in international football was to score. It was a penalty. Yes, it was. And, um, you know, he, he goes, Sergio Ramos said he's absolutely not going. Um, I think 
he was he's probably a little bit young. He was asked, and he's what thirty one, but he said uh, he'll carry on till Qatar, even if he's got grey hairs in his beard. Uh, he, he said it, the pain; it was the pain from this that, that is going to drive him on. And I think, you know, really, uh, my piece I wrote that was that this performance was almost the way that they couldn't quite get the balance right. It was almost like they were stuck between two generations yeah. of, of the Spanish team that. They got they had the really successful youth players under Lopetegui at, at the same time as the the senior team was winning the World Cup and the European Championships, and what they've tried to do is blend the two together, and in, the Iniesta Isco thing not quite working is the perfect example of those two generations not quite meshing together, and would Isco have functioned better if he had Saul and Coke alongside him rather than Busquets and Silva for example, and I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I, we could see, depending on who comes in as coach, and I think the tempting, interesting choice would be Kike Setien, although it would be a shame to see his Real Betis sort of uh, project. Uh, I know people don't like that word in England, but it's a good word. Uh, the, the Real Betis project kind of stopped now. I, I don't think he'd want to take it for that reason, but he's a very good Spanish coach. Paco Jemez has been linked, which would be, a, I think, a disastrous appointment, but... It'll be interesting to see what direction they take it in. Uh, they've obviously got a, an abundance of incredible quality players, so I don't think that's going to be a problem in the same way that Argentina might have a little bit of a drying up of the pipeline of, of talent and quality coming their way. But uh, Spain did lose, so we should mention the winners. But see, uh, see, this is the weird thing about I mean, and I, I said this when I, when I tweeted out my piece earlier. When I, I, was, I, was, I was actually writing my... I was conscious. I have to, I have to kind of bring in more praise for Russia here. But like, it was it was so on Spain that it was so difficult to go back to Russia because Russia did so little. Like, now I suppose what they did was enough. They just stood there. Because um, that, well, that's, that's not quite fair. They they to, to defend you don't just stand there. Yeah. But but Spain's immobility did mean they, they, they didn't they didn't need to do they, much they, more they, than they, that. This this the thing basically that that Russian wall wasn't moving, but that was also because Spain's attack wasn't moving. Yeah. 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 So, so it really was about being coached uh, positionally quite well, and uh, so Chernetsov, the, uh, the coach, probably deserves some credit for that. Um, the penalty, they scored it, well done. Um, but they, they just did so little outside that they barely created a chance. They, they had one or two counters where they had kind of three-on-three three sort of situations, and they, and they didn't know what to do in those situations. They were dead. They were just so dead after 90 minutes. And that's why I couldn't believe that Spain didn't really turn up the volume. You know, we said afterwards, it was like, you know, if it was a siege on a castle, you know, because there have been games and old Spain games when Spain were at their prime, yeah. that peak, where it was like a siege, where, where you're kind of, you've got the team penned in their own box and then you just get inching them closer and closer and closer. It's like, like a boa constrictor strangling yeah. Yeah, the team. Yeah. But this wasn't like that. This was like, you know, you said it, it was like if you had a, a castle under siege, this was just like passing the cannonball from one soldier to yeah, another. Yeah. Also, I mean, that, the, the, the other thing that stood out, I think I've gone on about this in a few of our podcasts, but I watched that documentary about the 2010 uh, World Cup before we came over. And what really stands out, I mean, in all, Spain were so good at that point that in every single defence, every single game, they played these massive, they were really intense matches. And they had, to so, they had to work so hard to kind of break these teams down. But there was that great, greater drive about them. Um, 
You just have, and you don't you don't sense it with with this team. They don't they don't they don't have. I mean, the players aren't as good. I mean, I mean, let's be fair. With that Spain team, we're probably talking about the most complete international side of all time, right down to the way that if you're trying to dream of a striker that just could that so perfectly fit the way they played, but yet gave them something different, you couldn't have a better one than David Villa. Uh, so they were almost the perfect international team, whereas this is not. But it's a, it's a much looser team. Uh, and. If they had a player like David Villa today, they probably would have won that handily. Actually, um, that it is it is curious because after the Portugal game, we kind of thought they might have found the the, the solution to their yeah. ongoing number nine problem that's basically been around since Villa left. Um, and I think today Costa showed so little, and he and he showed so little the other day um, in that final group game where again. I get, I, Ramos pointed out that they, they leave the World Cup without having lost a game mm. but they also never really super impressed they, anyone they, they only won one game and that, and that, and that arguably and that, they, well I mean it was deserved because it should have been ruled out but um, <laughs> they, they, they came down to VAR helping them uh, so they, I mean like, they, got, they got away with like, had VAR not there it could have been a lot worse of a tournament for, for, for Spain uh, and Iran gave them problems that winning the defeat anyway yeah, so <clears throat> as you might have uh, worked out, Spain are out of the World Cup. It does um, it does make that side of the draw even weaker. Um, there are reports coming in from England that football might be coming home. More on that as we get it. Um, but Russia progress, and they will be playing against Croatia in the next round. Um, after Croatia prevailed, prevailed on penalties, um, dramatic scenes at the end of extra time. Basically, the two early goals, which were like Sunday league goals, like mm-hmm. dreadful, um, including the, uh, the the terrible goalkeeper from Subasic, but eventually become the hero in the penalty shootout. Then, uh, end of extra time, Miguel Ante Rebic is through on goal. Mm-hmm. He's past Kasper Schmeichel, and he gets hacked down by a defender. Uh, with an open goal in front of him it's only a yellow card because of the new rule mm. he gets a penalty Luka Modric steps up and Kasper Schmeichel saves the penalty mm-hmm. is that adequate punishment for the crime? not if the penalty saved so you agree with my proposal that that should be upgraded to yeah. a red if the penalty is missed? yeah, yeah, yeah I think so now, although, although well actually we're into problematic waters there because well we are but because, but, because then it could, could give an incentive to to miss the penalty yeah or to let a penalty in maybe the rule should basically if he has an open goal like that the player it shouldn't be a penalty it should be a penalty goal I think that might be the best way around it yeah. the penalty goal like you, you could say that there's a chance the player could have missed it you know we've seen players miss that when there's a defender not there mm. But the, the fact is, he was fouled and he would have scored. Mm. And he didn't. If Croatia had gone out, uh, you can imagine what the reaction would have been like yeah, exactly. back, back home yeah, exactly. in Zagreb. It would have been like they, it would have been a, a huge yeah. kind of look at the rules and everything. It, and it, 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 it would have provoked an interesting yeah. debate. One thing about that, I, I think Schmeichel was off his line with the penalty as Boki was there after he had to shoot out. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people talk about great bottle for Modric. It's a great, great sporting courage to step up. Uh, I thought he actually almost I mean, in real terms he almost bottled his, his penalty too he got very very lucky Schmeichel uh, yeah. so he bottled the second penalty yeah he got very very lucky that Schmeichel didn't just catch it yeah yeah, yeah. 
there were some uh, some good penalties, a lot of bad ones, um, a lot of saves. Subasic and, and Schmeichel really uh, acquit themselves rather brilliantly in that in that shootout. Um, Jack Pitbrook is, is there, but it's so late in where is he? Nizhny Novgorod. Mm-hmm. Um, that I I can't guarantee we'll talk to him if. Um, so this is a conditional. If uh, I can get hold of him, then I'll I'll tack it on the end here. If not, uh, then uh, that's all you're going to hear about Croatia Denmark. But outside uh, the penalty shootout, it wasn't that good a game. Uh, so that side of the draw opens up a little, Miguel. Croatia versus Russia, and then uh, the other quarterfinal will be England or Colombia yeah. against Sweden or Switzerland. But this is the one thing we're saying, about, and it's and it's one thing maybe to keep in, in consideration for all the talk about England side of the draw. <laughs> Because we have these presumptions then, like, oh, Croatia will beat Russia. England, will, England if they took on Sweden, Switzerland, would, we'd fancy their chances, fair enough. But this tournament is proving <laughs> nothing's gone to plan. Would Croatia beat that massed Russian defence? Yes. I think, uh, yeah. but, but would they? Spain couldn't break it down. Well, I think I, the Spain situation today felt unique and more down to some weird neurosis with Spain and what the game became rather than anything to do with Russia. Um, do you think that there should have been the penalty given I've just remembered this in the Spain-Russia game the one where it appeared that Ramos and Piquet were being hauled down uh, from that cross I did, I it did. went to VAR and wasn't given I, I, th- I in real time in the stadium yeah. looking at it I could see that the defender had mm. his shirt because he was, he was stretching his shirt out mm. so for me immediately I'm thinking it's a penalty because you know, he's got a huge handful of his shirt and Ramos goes to the ground. Yeah, um, I thought it was a penalty at the time. I think, on reflection now, I can see that a ref wouldn't give it. Which is fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. It, was, it, needs, to, you know, it needs to be clear or whatever. But um, I, I like to think that it would be even-handed, but sometimes I think like, the host nation just gets a little... Mm. They get a little home advantage. But this, this, this wasn't like this wasn't like Spain with Korea in two thousand two. No, it wasn't ludicrous. It wasn't. This is like it wasn't ludicrous. It, it was a marginal call. Um, so what games have we got tomorrow? So tomorrow you're off to. I, 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 I'm getting up in a, as we record this podcast, four hours and forty minutes. So uh. well, <laughs> considering uh, you delayed my departure the other day by playing sporkle quizzes. Against that, was Johnny. John, that was Johnny Lou. That was, uh, Johnny that was uh, well, who was playing against him? Yeah, but like you know, I, I didn't know what time you were going. He was the one going with you. Um, which led to my odyssey. Um, you are off to Brazil versus Mexico in Samara. Uh, in Samara. Um, a, a quick chat on that. What do you think? What, um, what are you expecting? I think you would have fancied Mexico more, but then they completely collapsed in that game against Sweden, which kind of. I'm telling you, Sweden, Sweden might be good. Sweden are good, yeah. They've already counted for Germany, Netherlands, and Italy on the way here even if they didn't beat Germany but they're, they're t- they topped the group that Germany finished bottom of um, and I think Mexico also I think facing Brazil I can see them having a bit of an emotional breakdown in this game and I think Brazil will solidly win by 2-0 I think Brazil are the best team at this tournament and I wholeheartedly agree uh, Chicha again he was asked about the expectations of this team you know and, and all the stupid questions that he gets asked and as, as is his way he's calm he's methodical said uh, expectations are nothing I live in reality this is a team that, that mm. is improving every game mm-hmm. and that's all I want to see and, and that is all he wants to see and they have improved every game and that the Coutinho and Neymar Gabriel Jesus axis looks really good whenever those three kind of get close to each other it really works Jesus is getting some criticism for not having scored a goal but watch them play 
Uh, he's very key in everything they do. He presses from the front, and the squad love him because uh, of the energy he, he brings at the front, which I think, obviously, Roberto Firmino would bring, but it sounds like Firmino doesn't really have a chance. It sounds like Jesus has certainly got the backing of the entire squad. And I guess the other, so the other round of 16 game tomorrow must be... Um, it's um, Belgium. Belgium against Japan, uh, which is in Rostov-on-Don. That will be uh, an interesting game, uh, no doubt. But you'd expect Belgium... Uh, it's two good ball-playing teams. Yeah. It actually might be quite an entertaining game of football. But uh, Japan have more than enough cracks. Uh, and Belgium have cracks in the Spanish sense. They, yeah, they've got yeah. so many good players. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a bit, uh, but I feel like Belgium 2-3-1, I'd say. Yeah. Thank you, Miguel. I know you need to go to bed. Um, there's a chance uh, I speak to <coughs> Jack in a second. If so, then... Hi, Jack. What did you think of that? Hi, Ed. It's Jack. I'm outside the Nishinovgorod Stadium. It's quarter past two in the morning. Uh, just left the mix zone after a game which... It's kind of a strange game, really. It kind of veered from kind of high drama and fast at the start to... Basically, like, 110 minutes of very, very boring, bad football, um, which you might as well fast-forward it if you if you had that capacity. Like, it was really... There was kind of nothing there. Like, the two teams cancelled each other out. I thought Croatia were probably slightly better. Uh, the game turned when Denmark brought on Lasse Schoener at half-time for Andreas Christensen, who, basically, who very effectively shut down Croatia and didn't let them through. Um... And it looked all the while like it was definitely going for penalties. And then, on 115 minutes, one brilliant Modric pass cut open uh, cut open Denmark. Modric took the penalty, missed it. And then the game went to penalties and, of course, Croatia won. Um, but what I thought was really interesting was that... was one, like, it's a huge deal for Modric personally because he had a... You know, to miss that penalty and then 15 minutes later to get a chance to reverse that, score the crucial penalty and win, you know, which was part of Croatia winning the game, was really good. And lots of, and the manager actually spoke afterwards about uh, when Croatia beat Turkey, sorry, was, no, when Croatia lost to Turkey in Euro 2008, when famously I think Ivan Klasnic scored in about 119 minutes, Croatia thought they'd won the game, Turkey equalised with the last kick of added on time at the end of extra time, Croatia were broken by this and Turkey beat them on pens and they kind of reversed that in a way today in the sense they overcame that setback at the end of extra time and won on the penalty shootout and now for the first time in ages Croatia are in the quarterfinals and they're looking good I mean they didn't play brilliantly today but the, I think the lesson this World Cup really is you don't need to play brilliantly every time like France were pretty awful for their three group games and you now have to say they're looking very good for the semis or maybe beyond that like Croatia don't have a difficult draw. They have Russia in the quarterfinals. And I know Russia won surprisingly against Spain today, but Russia are not a good team. Um, and I think that given the quality that Croatia have and the character, if they can just find a little bit more confidence and belief off the back of today, then you'd have to beat, bat them to beat Russia and go through to the semis. Um, are they the best team in this half of the draw? I mean, we'll have to wait and see what happens in England-Columbia on Tuesday night in Moscow, um, which I'm where I'm flying tomorrow. But... I mean, I'd certainly, putting everything together, I wouldn't want England to play Croatia. If, I, if England did play Croatia, I think that England would have a less than 50-50 chance of winning the game. Just because this Croatia team's got so much more experience in international level, they've been playing together for years, even though they haven't been getting the results. And that's why I'd be pretty, um, 
I'd be, if I was Croatian, I'd be pretty bullish about their chances now, even though uh, they nearly lost a shootout in, you know, Kasper Michael was very good for Denmark, as always. Croatia didn't really create that much in open play. Um, because, like I said, I think this is, this is a World Cup which is probably about luck, belief and momentum more than it is about consistent high-level performance. Because, you know, frankly, no, nobody's delivering consistent high-level performance, if we're honest. Um, we're just getting kicked out of the media centre here because it's so late. Uh, but, yeah, so, so, yeah, I thought it was a pretty positive day, really. Uh, and quite an exciting, an exciting game, given that it was so boring for almost two hours of it. Um, it was a uh, eventful, an eventful day at uh, Russia 2018, as they all seem to be these days. And we'll talk tomorrow, where Miguel will check in from Samara. Samara, I'll probably part from Samara. Yes, you brush my teeth. Uh, he's he's off to brush his teeth, and then we'll do Samara, and then uh, I'll also have Mark Critchley here tomorrow. I think Johnny's around, and we're previewing England, Colombia, the big one, to verify if it is indeed returning to its house. <laughs>